Morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network, and that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity Ashu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should definitely exercise our choices and yeah, and decide how we want to proceed. Um, and this series of of conversations which started last week um, that I call Melanin Magic, and this is Melanin Magic Two: Raising Consciousness um, uh, through through mediums such as art and spirituality. And we have on our show today uh, one of my uh, favorite persons that I didn't know was working in my town. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Baba uh, Ope Sanwo. Uh, Ifa, Ifo, no, Ifa Korede, Fadairo, uh, um, who, um, yeah, I know him as a person who is really good at sort of conjuring and making magic potions that are from the earth to help heal you, so you don't have to go to chemicals. And um, and I also know him as a wonderful fine artist who does mixed huh. media. And and he is here to join us, and 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 you mentioned a whole lot in your bio, but I'm thinking, why don't you just talk about your grandmother, Dorothy K. Hodges? Hodges. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know, Eway, uh, medicine that you teach, and um, yeah, and and the African spiritual tradition that um that you are a part of that you talked to me about a little bit when I last saw you. So welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I, I do like an airway fire class, uh, but then I, I, the whole series I generally do is called uh, Urban Practical Herbalism. So I go, uh, I bring in a lot of herbs from, you know, things that people don't re- necessarily realize that are herbs. Um, so I bring in herbs like purslane um, or uh, other herbs that are just randomly around, you know, like jade plant or wandering jew. Um, and then bringing in that are in their cupboard, you know, um, really trying to break down that barriers. Like, you know, you use herbs every day. You deal with things every day. And the things that you have at hand um, are just as medicinal as those things that you would get in a pharmaceutical drug. Um, and then really, you know, 
creating styles and creams and tinctures and a bunch of other stuff and teaching just how to use it and when to use it and how to prepare it and process it. Um, I'm a I'm a babalao, uh, babalao ala deepa, which means basically that, and people may be familiar with the term babalao in connection to Ifa, um, but ala deepa or adipa is a uh, form of uh, definition to any Ifa that is the original Ifa two uh, definition to, um, and that's not to discount. And people may be familiar with uh, Erdine Logan, which is the card shells, 16 cards, or Yopwele, which is the uh, divining chain, um, or Iking, uh, Iking Fa, which is the palm kernels. But uh, Adigba is, uh, you know, like you said, I'm also an artist, um, installation artist. But Adigba in itself is one of those kinds of um, healing modalities or divination tools. That's very strict, very clear. It doesn't like to waste a lot of time. Like to get straight to the point. Like to uh, deal with the um, the information that's there that needs to be dealt with first, and then delving a little clearer or uh, bringing better perspective to how to handle or deal with the situation. Um, and so it's interesting that you were playing something for Eshu Adada. Because Eshu is like a, his code of principle is like, is, is the instructor. He instructs, um, which always is misnomer. You know, our African traditions generally are vilified in so many different ways. Uh, but Eshu is, is like an a instructor, a caregiver, or he opens up the doorways to a deeper understanding, to better understanding. So, you know, you know, like back in the day, Robert Johnson talking about he went to the crossroads, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes. at the same time, they also vilify him as like a devil or a trickster. But let's not go down that road ever of vilifying or, or disrespecting entities that are a part of our daily life. You know, we all all the Orishas, all of those uh, entities are within and so in a lot of ways, we personify a lot of those aspects of um, of Eshu or of Shango or Oshun. And people usually are familiar with those deities in that way. Um, so this fear, this fear and, and oh, my God, you know, things going to happen. Oh, my God, you know, what, what do I do now? Is, is uh, there's things that are real that are going on, and then there's the things that, make it 10 times worse when we begin to create these these uh, images or, or uh, false realities. Um, and that's what I think or any other divine, divination tool kind of cuts through and is like, look, let's let's get to the point. Let's let's really look at things from a whole perspective. Um, like any, any indigenous system, I think it deals with um, and seeks to open up a doorway to your destiny, to your fate, to your soul. And so in this in this system, they call it Ori Inu. And so you, no matter what goes on, no matter what Orisha that you, you know, you affiliate yourself with or that you know, your Ori Inu, everyone on this planet Earth has an Ori. Everyone. Everyone on this planet Earth has an Egun or an ancestor. Right? And so above and beyond anything else, 
those are things that we hold sacred first. Because you couldn't be here without your, your mother and your father. They call it Ishesha. You can be here with, without your mother, your father, your own ori or your destiny, your fate, your soul. Um, you couldn't be here without the pathway that's been laid out for you to obtain and, and manifest. And that's really where when somebody comes to me for a divination or reading uh, or herbs, the ori that allows me to go and to develop and awaken those aspects of themselves that they've been either forgot or have never been shown. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, that was that was really really a beautiful introduction, and I was wondering um, maybe for our audience who might not be familiar with what you mean by divination, maybe mm-hmm. you could um, could explain a little bit about about what that means. Um, and um and how how you come to um to this particular um practice and um mm-hmm. and 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 it sounds like you know from what you wrote about your grandmother um that mm-hmm. you know it might not have had this name but you were already doing this <laughs> right. you were raised exactly. in, in this way so one of you could maybe sort of you know tie it together for us and then lead us into That's your true. path that's a few different questions, but we'll we'll, we'll make it all happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, my grandmother, I'm, I'm a tenth generation herbalist. Um, my grandmother, she was from Louisiana, Nashville, Louisiana. Um, also have family in, in uh, Shreveport and in, in New Orleans and stuff like that. But uh, she she grew up in Nashville with my, um, her mother, father, and I think it was like thirteen or fourteen of them total. Uh, her siblings, and so she she really gave me a good foundation of what herbs were, how to connect to the earth, how to prepare and deal with herbs in general, but also spirituality. So she may not have said this is spirituality, this is da 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 da, right? She what she did do was give me the foundation of look looking and and seeing and appreciating the things that surround me. Um, you know, she's from Louisiana, so she put a little spice on the spice on the cake. <laughs> always, you know. So it always was like this nice flow of either learning about herbs, go get me this herb out the yard, or go, um, you know, put this thing together for me, or um, you know, always, always kind of instructing without instructing. And it was interesting because most of the things that I learned from her, a lot of things I learned from her, I've always relearned in a lot of ways with my, um, as I got into Ifa. And, you know, really, again, my first experience with Ifa wasn't really like something that I I went out and sought out, right? I didn't go and and try to find it and anything like that because the thing about Ifa, Ifa never just it's not proselytized. It's it's not you know, beat over your head or anything like that. It's just something that you come to or that comes to you. Uh, so basically, my first trip out was to Burkina Faso. Um, uh, actually, to Ghana. Performing, we was out there performing with Visa, uh, Black Song and Poetry, um, and then coming back into the states and went back out to uh, Burkina Faso and continued my learning with herbs there. Um, and then to when I came back from Burkina, that's when I 
I came, I was teaching Capoeira, Angola, um, at this daycare, and it happened to be at Ifa Temple. And I began to, you know, kind of talk to that allure, that temple that was in the States at the time. And we began to build from there. And it just made sense. And a lot of stuff he was talking about was the same things that I, I learned in a, in a greater sense uh, from my grandmother. Um, I know I said a lot and a little, but then my, what, what is a divination or a reading? Uh, a divination reading is when a Babala sits down, uh, traditionally in the Yoruba system of Ifa, when a Babala sits down and the person is coming to him to gain better access, a better understanding to their Ori Inu, right? And what, what I mean by Ori, Ori directly translates to the head. Right, but or the inu is your inner head. So your inner head is the thing that you've chosen before you came to this earth. So it's like your soul. It is your soul. It's not your mind. It's not your body. It's not your brain. It's your soul or your destiny. Uh, the things that you are sent here to to accomplish when you get here on this earth. And so a babalaw goes in and just doesn't speak from his own mind. It's not the words that, for me, it's Ifa's words. And that's really important to understand because uh, you don't want to get caught up in ego and be like, oh, this Baba Lao did X, Y, and Z. Mm-mm. Even when somebody bows to a Baba Lao, which Baba Niawo, or the, the father of the secrets, or the father in the secrets, when you bow to a Baba Lao, you're not bowing to that person. You're bowing to that Ashe or that Ifa that they were initiated into, that, that word of God. That's what Ifa means. It's like the word, it's like the word of Holodomari. Um And what I'm saying, why I say that, is because there's only one God in uh, traditional Ifa, right? Traditional um, Yoruba system, and that that God is Holodomari. So all these other aspects of or codes or principles, um, and different Holodomari, uh, but they were also real people on the earth. At one point, um, so going back to what a divination is. So when you open up, when I open up your ori, or when I tap into your ori, I go into and see what's out of balance, right? So if I, when I, I throw the adigba, uh, which is expected before, very strict, like within the other ones, you, you know, there's always a give and take. Any other reading system, whether you tell cards, whether you do. Uh, tea leaves, where you do astrology, whatever modality, whatever modality that you do for reading in, there's always a give and take. There's always a balancing that happens. Um, even if you go into deep meditation, there's always a balancing. It's something that you offer and things, and then this abundance that's given. And so, same thing within Ifa. So, as we sit down, and we open up these topics. Uh, then, also within our deep, there's instead of one OG, there's four OGs that come up, and then fully um, the things that surround them and that will consistently happen, and the things that have happened in the past. So I tell people like four dimensions. So it's you, which is the fourth dimension. Like people say, well, that's time. Well, that's that's it's you. You know, your time, energy, and that's what it is. Is encompassing within the present, past, and future. Oh, so I'm you're, you're, break, 
you're you're breaking up a little bit. I I want to make sure people can people get everything. So, um, yeah, you're like breaking up. So, start again at what you said about the four dimensions. Okay. Okay. So the the four dimensions. What I say where when you come to a uh, divination or a reading mm-hmm. every five bigra, there's like four di- four dimensions that you're dealing with. There's the the past. Actually, the present first. The present. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. You're, you're breaking up again. So you said the present, the past, and, and what were the other two? So the present, the past, the future, and you. Oh, the future and you. Okay. So because you you yourself encompass all of these other dimensions and, mm-hmm. and many more, right? Because we don't know our mind, our body, our essence doesn't know anything about uh, two seconds from now or 50 years from now. It's all within the same relative time, right, you know, within us. So we encompass all of these things. And so that I say that because our Ori Inu is that essence that encompasses all of our aspects of our life, everything that we are, everything that we will be. And that's why, you know, there's a saying in Yoruba to say that, you know, if Orisha can't get me to my destiny's end or development, or the things I need to accomplish in my life. It's a good Orisha. It's my Ori that gets me to where I need to go. Mm. Right? Because we can't engage mm-hmm. with Orisha. We can't engage with Ifa. We can't engage with anything until we first deal with our own Ori Inu or our own soul, our own destiny. Right? Because that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And that's why people come to Ifa to, for major events. So it could be marriage. It could be business. It could be relationships. Some other kind of, you know, like uh, relationship, business relationship, physical relationship. Um, it could be any kind of turning point in their life. Seeking a better job, seeking um, to have children, whatever it is that that in your life that you seek to open up and, and manifest. If I opens up that doorway to give you like a key to a deeper understanding of who and what um, that purpose is and what's around you. We may have things that we, you know, this persona, this, this perception of us in a certain kind of way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, Ayaye Louisa Tish um, and other practitioners like yourself would say, um, you know, in uh, in the African tradition, there really, there is no need for you to not know you know, where you are and where you need to go um, because, you know, we are in communion, you know, with those aspects of, of um, our spiritual tradition and ourselves that can give us that kind of guidance, you know. Um, yes. You know, um, I think um, uh, our um, the Iya who, um, uh, uh, Oye Fumike, she said that um, when she was um, doing the divination, she said, you know, um, um, it was like uh, a phone line, <laughs> you know, um, to to the deities, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if you could talk a little like bit a about... Oh, go ahead. No, no, it's more like a phone line. Go ahead. So it's more, it's more like a, a direct connection to... The phone line, direct connection to all of the money. Mm-hmm, right. You know, 
Mm-hmm. You know, because that's that's the main focus of any of these things is Olodumari. Olodumari, the only reason why we don't directly mm-hmm. mean that we engage and connect you. Um, and that's why even the verses in Abigo are so much shorter because mm. it likes to get directly to the core of what's going on. Not a lot of work in, in, in Wawa. Let's get to the, to the essence of what we're dealing with. Because mm-hmm. mostly when you look at that, um, it's kind of daunting in a lot of ways. I was always thinking about myself because I, I, I dealt with being in Wawa, right? Um, and it was kind of daunting because, you know, you think about it, it's another language. It's something that... Wow, fear isn't real. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah in reading in reading your, your bio, um, uh, you were talking, um, you know, about um, the uh, the whole idea of the aspect of, of herbalism and, and, and trees and roots and and how you know you've been like connected to the earth like that you know since you were really little like 4 years old like cuz your grandmother took care of you i guess when your parents were at work <laughs> yeah and yeah and i was wondering um were you um were you raised here or in louisiana i was raised here here in the in the you, bay area in the okay. bay. My, my grandmother is from Louisiana, and all the mm-hmm. all of those the family and stuff like that from there. On my mom's mm-hmm. side, my dad's side is, is uh, also from well, from like uh, Mississippi, uh, Mississippi, um, we're all over the place. We spread wide, <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely. But you know, my parents grew up here in in, in California, in uh, San Francisco, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I grew up in. Born in Oakland, uh, raised in Richmond, came back to Oakland, left the country for a while, and came back out to, mm-hmm. to the Bay. And that was mm-hmm. living, you know, it was always home, always home. That's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about yeah. the Bay Area, too. We have so many different kinds of herbs. Just when we walk on the street, you know, just in our house, house plants that we have. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. We're so connected to each, every herb, even. Um, what we think of as herbs, like uh, animal secretions, like, for example, snail water or, um, like, uh, honey, you know, or things that trick you, or slugs, banana slugs, or, um, you know, we have such an abundance of things. Mm. So, regardless of what it is, whether it be how you talk or interact with somebody, or how that person interacts with you, or mm-hmm. how you process an herb. Because that one herb can be used for many different things depending on how you process it, depending on the uh the first you say over it. Um, it's infinite in scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you write in your bio that um herbs are not just things we experience on our skin or in our mouth. It is the smell, the presentness how we engage or disengage with ourselves and other people. And you write, I've lived herbs because this is who I am and this is what I know through experience of my own health and that of treating clients, seeking to get to the root cause, not just the symptom, helping, guiding, ground, healing, reestablishing my community to value their herbs, 
their health, sorry, not just surviving, but truly living, developing, and growing. And uh, you've got a um, YouTube, um, E-CentralOBTrade, and then Facebook, forward slash um, Instagram, Afro Urban, A-T-R-B-N, uh, apothecary, A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y. And, uh, yeah, um, in our in our closing minutes, I wanted to know uh, if you could leave our audience with something they can do right now. <laughs> well, don't, don't get caught up in the hype. Don't get caught up in the fear. But then other than that, there's so many different herbs that you can kind of deal with. For, for example, there's clove, there's garlic, there's uh, a herb called bozo. Wait a second. Um, you're 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 breaking up again. I want to make sure people can hear what you're saying. Maybe you could spell the herb too, just in case people don't know like which one you're yeah. talking about. Because because maybe people so both, are not. Both those both those those are really good. B O L D O, both those. Uh, campaign. Uh, uh, um, time. Those herbs are all really good herbs as far as getting cardamom, mm-hmm. making a, a tea out of that. And these are basic things that we can get hold of all the time. Bozo you can get online. Um, I, I get a, I have Bozo too, and then there's a few other places in the area that hold on to it. You can get a hold of it. Um, but it's, uh, these are basic herbs that can be used for respiratory the immune system. Anti viral, antimicrobial. Um, I can mention elder berry, which is also really good because it's, it's also antiviral. Oh, tell, tell me again what you said. What kind? What kind of berry? Elderberry. Elderberry. elderberry is good because, uh, oh, okay. Elderberry mm-hmm. is good because it helps to um, build up the uh, You're you're breaking up like really breaking up. Um, I, so I missed I missed that last last one. Um, what did you just say? Uh, so these are things that you can find in your in your cupboard or in a, mm-hmm. in a local store because you know, we live in the Bay Area and there's so much access to foods other than what we see in a supermarket. Other than you know, and that's that's some of the things that we do. Uh, we take I take people up in the hills. Um, and show them different herbs that are, are readily available, you know, mm-hmm. that are, are mushrooms that are readily available, that are edible. Um, mm-hmm. Tree uh, leaves, bark, uh, roots, uh, plants, you know, so many different kinds of herbs and animals mm-hmm. that are there, that are available to us on a daily basis. Um, insects. So these are things that, you know, when you start looking at your whole environment, that's why I say urban uh, practical urbanism. I did a plant that grows outside my apartment building, um, Folaje, right? That is it's amazing because I was like, oh, that grows here? I didn't even know they grew in the state, right? Um, mm-hmm. AYIJ, or the uh, leaf of, of wealth, that's what that's translated to, AYIJ. And so that is purslane. And purslane is one of those really powerful herbs. It has Uh, 
Hopefully Sanwo can't hear you at all anymore now. Hmm. Okay, he's gone. Okay. Um, uh oh, so was our next guest. Oh my goodness, darn. Um <laughs> Well, I hope Queen Hollands um calls me back. Um yeah, we are gonna be we're real excited to be speaking um to um to Queen Hollands and me uh Let's see. Call her back. Let's see. Uh, call me back. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, we are going to... Um, she was in the studio, and then the call dropped. Oh, there she is. Super. Oh, no. There's Ope Sanwell. <laughs> Uh, hey, Ope Samuel, you you completely dropped. Oh, now he's dropped again. Okay, um, let me um, read a little bit about our guest that's going to call us back. Um, Queen Hollands is a sovereign being and founder of the Earth Lodge Center for Transformation, where she practices and teaches, teaches earth-based nature medicine and curriculum. The philosophy at Earth Lodge is to see each human being as a sovereign entity holding liberation by deeply connecting with the earth. Her journey into the mysteries of the earth began under the tutelage of her grandmother as a little girl growing up in Mississippi. Her spiritual practices include that of Ifa, Black Gnostic Aquarian Gospel, Sacred African Dance, Sacred Healing, serpent dance, science of mind, plant medicine, and listening to the stories of her elders, which includes trees. Queen facilitates a sacred earth ceremony for healing and restoration, a sacred earth pit journey, which includes sacred blood rites, menstruation, lunar, solar rites, and seasonal rites. She is also a certified uh, kundalini yoga instructor, intuitive counselor, spiritual activator, and offers individual group sessions and retreats. And with all that, she says she is still learning. To stay connected with Queen and the Earth Lodge community, sign up at earthlodgecenter.org. And uh, let's see, hopefully she's back. There she is. <laughs> Greetings, this is Queen. How are Green, you? Greetings, Queen. Good, how are you? I'm well. I was a little concerned because initially when we called, it was a little bit choppy. So I'm hoping yeah. that you can hear me clearly. Yeah, it's, it's a little choppy, which is kind of weird. It was choppy on my other guest, too. It was very choppy. Um, and then he was yeah. clear, and then he wasn't. Right now, you're clear. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So, um yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that wonderful series on Corona Crown. Beautiful. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. Really, really, really wonderful. I love the first one. You say, okay, this is the first day of the, um, you know, staying close to home order. <laughs> and it looked kind of yes. cold where you were, too. You had you were all bundled up. Yeah, you know, the seasons, everything's a little bit off. The seasons are off a little bit, uh, but even in the midst of it, you know, there's still balance because even Mm -hmm. in this cold weather, which is really uh, not typical for Southern California, you know, spring is still happening. Uh, The earth is still birthing. So, um, you know, no matter what um, the pseudo powers that be 
try to do to inhibit us from growth. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, I have every 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 in nature. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm starting to open up, and I, I'd like for you to direct me on how you want me to get started. It's <laughs> I, I um, long-winded in, in several topics <laughs> as it relates to nature. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you could um maybe you could just, you know, start with how how you started, you know, how you founded this this wonderful um um, you know, Earth Lodge Center um and um and and then maybe um, you know, sort of lead into, you know, those one that wonderful series that you did around the corona, around the crown chakra and about okay. you know, sort of people, you know, um becoming more in tune with nature as as an ally as opposed to fearing what we don't know exactly exactly okay that that leads me into the earth life center is a spiritual center for activation previously it was called the spiritual center for transformation but really what we do is to activate people into their innate gifts into their innate power in that place that uh resides where the omnipresent resides so they can tap into their own capacity to heal you know it's good to have teachers it's good to have guides but we have to serve as activators because most of the people that come in they they're they're tapped into something even greater than we are or they've got access to it you know as life progresses as life um evolves those that are coming in now are coming in at a different frequency the humans that are incarnating incarnating now are coming in at a different frequency so as teachers and guides we have a responsibility to activate those gifts where oftentimes society is like, you know, go to school, get a job, just kind of blend in with the, with the, uh, the mundane aspect of society. And that's not to say that getting a job and going to school is a bad thing, but when it squashes your dream, when it squashes the very purpose that you came here as, as a being uh, and your gifts that need to need to unfold on this planet in this lifetime, then it becomes mundanity. So our our goal is to activate a B and create a safe space for that to cultivate. Hmm. And um, this all came about. Um, this all came about. This whole Earth Lodge vision, and I'm going to take two minutes to tell this story. When I was a little girl, my grandmother refused to spank me. She would make me get a shovel and go dig a hole in the ground. She'd make me dig it until I was big enough to get in it, and then she'd make me sit, and she'd come back and check on me. And if I was still rolling my eyes, she'd come back again and say, stay there. By the time she'd come back and I was sobbing, she knew that the earth had, had in her, uh, with her character, her character of re- being a receptacle vessel, for any and all things had actually, uh, once I put myself in the earth, she'd actually begin to take off and rebalance the anger that I was feeling. There were no words to explain why I was angry, and she knew that, my grandmother, Naomi um, Hollins, Ibaye. She knew that. And so after the tears, uh, she'd say, now scream, and that was right up my alley, being an angry child. So I screamed. But after I got out of the earth, 
she was there to hold me. And I felt light, actually felt exhausted. I didn't understand what she was doing, but she was using the power of nature to heal and rebalance my anger, probably fear underneath that, and whatever else I didn't understand as a child, as it, especially in my teenage years. So that is how the Earth Lodge was born. And the Earth Lodge is a 35-foot circumference hole in the ground that descends down nine feet and there's a fire pit in the center, and that's where we do our ceremony because the, the, the belief is that if it can work for me in a little individual hole, then it can work for our community. The earth can hold our community, and when we go in, we do not come back up the same because she simultaneously cleans us. Some people go in and they feel dizzy. Some people go in and they feel nauseous. Some people go in and they feel even more anger come up. All that's coming up to come out. So if there's a stirring that's happening, then you're right on point. So in, in brief, as brief as I can be, that's what we do here at the Earth Lodge. And so the belief in nature when um, in regards to corona uh, I did a post a little uh, a few a couple weeks ago, and I asked someone to anyone to inbox me what does Corona mean? It's a Spanish word for crown, and a light came on, Corona crown, and immediately I thought of the crown chakra. And chakras are energy centers in our body that align with uh, particular uh, glandular systems and organs in order to keep us in balance and and I that's a whole nother conversation around the chakras but that's something that can easily be researched uh, chakra is spelled C-H-A-K-R-A and there's there's many different chakras there's there's several chakras but we primarily deal with seven and we deal with the root chakra which which is connected to fear and grounding stability and that's located uh, right in the perineal area, um, right in between our buttocks and our uh, our um, reproductive organs. And then we go up to the sacral chakra, and the sacral chakra has to deal with reproductive organs, our sexual energy, our creative energy. And then we come upward to the um, diaphragm area, and that is the solar plexus chakra, which deals with the emotional body. And then we come to the heart chakra, which deals with love and balance, self-love primarily. And it also connects to, to, to other glands. And these all connect to other glands and uh, systems in our body and organs. Then we go to the throat chakra, which deals with divine speech um, because we know our speech creates things. And then we come up to the pineal uh, chakra, which is located right between the two eyebrows. Sometimes you hear people refer to it as the third eye, and that has to deal with clear vision, intuitive knowing. And then we come to the crown, which is located on the top of your head, in the center. That's the soft point uh, of a baby that doesn't doesn't close right away. But the crown chakra connects us to are the divine, to the cosmos to the galaxies, to the stars, to our wisdom, to our higher thinking, that thinking that has the capacity to surpass anything that presents itself as an obstacle. So when I put the two together, corona, crown, 
Another thing with the the the, the crown chakra is also connected connected to the central nervous system. So that took it up another notch for me. So we're going to put corona in this in this in this uh coronavirus on top of our crown chakra. And so all that filters down into the nervous system because that virus is connected to fear, it's connected to doubt, it's connected to hate, it's connected to uh, separation, it's connected to isolation, it's connected to anything that does not support harmony, humanity, and unity. It is actually activated a part of our reptilian brain, which is a good thing because it puts us in survival mode, but it also has an increase, an an, uh, abnormal increase of fear and scarcity, lack and separation. So if we put this simultaneously with the crown chakra, we put corona, and as we say corona probably over two or 300 times a day, then that activates something within our psyche where we cannot connect with those higher frequency centers that puts us in a place of coming together, creating, even though that's happening on, a, on small scales throughout the globe. But there's still mass hysteria out there. So we're going to crown. We're going to put corona on top of your crown chakra, your higher frequency centers, your, your capacity to uh, creatively rise above any and all appearing obstacles, your capacity to connect to spirit in a way that you've never connected before and to reach out and to incarnate and to activate the spiritual avatars that we are. So right now, there's a direct similarity. And when you add in the central nervous system, if you walk into any store, you can see and smell and almost taste the fear on people. People are nervous wrecked. They're moving fast. Don't get too close to me. And that's not, I'm not saying don't be precautious, but there's a certain, there's a certain place where we supersede precaution and we go into hysteria. Mass hysteria. I went to Turner's, uh, drove past Turner's gun store, and there were more people lined up around there looking for bullets than there were for toilet paper or looking for candles to make prayers or food to share with their neighbors. So I feel that um, the pseudo powers that be, pseudo that be, I feel that all of this uh, has a design to it. It was very well thought out. And so in remedy to stay awake, I have a few suggestions. First, I would love for everybody that's listening to do your research on the chakra system because if you don't know about the chakra system, it's something that uh, would really help you, especially during this time um, of – mass hysteria and also initiation there's two things happening there's two things happening there is initiation period for those of us that are awake to ascend to call on to call in the and activate the inner avatar to ascend beyond what is happening so research the chakras 
and I want to give a, um, a message of precaution. I'm not t- telling you to activate your crown chakra. I'm telling you to be aware of it, and we're going to talk more about protecting your entire auric field, your energetic field, your etheric body, so that these these fear frequencies do not come into your sphere. So that these fear frequencies do not come into your sphere. So that the fear frequencies do not come into your sphere. That was a deliberate repetition and reiteration because repetition and reiteration is manifestation. So we say it three times and somehow it catches. So we're going to talk a little bit about what you can do to do that. And the reason I'm saying that I don't want, this is not about activating the crown chakra because you need to work from the root first. So once you do your research, uh, you'll find, you'll see why. The root is, uh, is, you need to be rooted before you open up the top, your top crown. And that has to do with the root chakra. So, we have this is a very short time to talk about things, but please do your own research and um, you'll find out that there's a simple ways that you can you can clear your chakras first and then activate them. Because we're in the age of Aquarius, the age of Aquarius is I know the mysteries have been open to the masses, so there's a responsibility that comes with that. So. Use caution, use your intuitive knowing when you do your research. And if you do nothing but listen to a frequency that helps to clear the chakras and do your research, your reading, and you'll get a better understanding of what I'm talking about. With the the crown chakra, I'm sorry. Oh, before you go on um, to your... um when you were t- you were gonna give people, um, I guess, tools around um, protecting themselves from the fear frequencies, um, in in the um, uh, in the series of, of of three lectures that you gave, um, one uh, talked about making your intention um, each day, and and then um, if possible, you know, sort of going outside and and aligning it with an, a plant ally, you know, like you mentioned, you had lots of trees and fruit fruit bearing trees, you know, in, in your space, like the lemon tree and I think there was avocado and things like that. Um and you talked about um like maybe making a crown with leaves and um and then if you wrapped your hair then you could you could leave the leaves there and have them as a part of you know the healing which could happen you know throughout the day and um and then in the other one you talked about um doing um uh was it a, a ritual was that was that the other one i think that was the second one i think is that correct if i am i remembering correctly a ritual of making offerings to the earth yes exactly thanking the earth mhm yes mhm i yes. i can go so anyway i, I just Okay. I just wanted to mention that because um I just thought it was all so, you know, these three um talks is so grounding. Um okay. I started with the third one and it really like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> I just felt so okay. much better. Um okay. Well the chakra, yeah, the chakra is a is a um is a talk in and of itself. 
But just to wrap that up, and then I'll move on to some of the remedies. And that was these these both are remedies that you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple remedies, a couple that were maybe not spoken about. And one is um, really important to keep your auric, your etheric field strong. And you can do that by listening to uh, Hertz frequencies. Hertz frequencies are frequencies that are uh, sound frequencies that are designed to clean um, a particular part of your uh, physical body. But today we're talking about your etheric, your auric field. And there's a a great uh, one by David uh, Wong that just came out, and it's specifically around the coronavirus. He has created a frequency to help to strengthen your auric field so that you will repel anything that would come to attack your immune system. So you can actually go to um, uh, YouTube and look him up. I, I was very impressed with it because I've been doing Hertz frequencies for a long time, and this one um, this one is really powerful. So we'll go to the head cleansing. And I'll start out by... Uh, saying that oftentimes when we wake up, we don't we don't invite our head into the day. So many of us um, in, in, uh, are walking around um, without our heads on straight, and so that means we fall prey to whatever the frequency in the environment is, because we've not set an agenda for the day. So it's very important when your feet hit the ground. I like to keep a little water by my side of the bed, and sometimes I'll put essential oil in it. I like to use eucalyptus, rosemary, peppermint, something that's just going to give me a, a wake-up call. And I'll now anoint my uh, uh, third eye chakra, which is right between the uh, the eyebrows, and then I'll go on to anoint the top of my head the crown chakra, and I, like, and I also anoint the back of my neck because that's where the base of the spine is and that's where the central nervous system um, connects to the brain. And so in anointing those places, I also call forth the intention of what I want for the day. In the midst of chaos, I stand in the eye of the storm, remembering that chaos is pre-creation, So I have an opportunity today, no matter what it looks like. And so I set the intention for peace, for stability, for groundedness, so that I become not not at the the mercy of the collective consciousness of fear, but I become a beacon and an anchor of possibility, of optimism, of creating something new, even in the midst of this, to get the lesson the uh, subliminal lessons that come out of this uh, initiation period that our our globe is going through. So I become a beacon for that just by anointing my head and inviting my head into the day. And going a little bit further, you can also pick any plant. It doesn't matter because plants have the energy of spirit. They hold uh, the capacity that earth does because they are receptacles they receive. So you can grab maybe three leaves and, and just speak to the leaves and say, I need to ally with you today. I'd like for you to pull off what no longer serves me. 
You anoint the leaves and the oil and the water, and you put them on your crown, tie your head up in a, in a head wrap or a cap or something that's covering your head. And you could keep that medicine on your head all day because it's holding your intentions. You also speak your intention into the plants and help to allow the plants to help you ally to navigate throughout the day. You can also do this when you go to sleep and you'll wake up more refreshed. When you finish with those plants, dig a little hole in the ground, place them in there, cover them up, and give thanks to nature. And that leads us into making offerings. Nature wants to be recognized in times of crisis because in nature, if there is a mold or a certain parasite that attacks nature, they create a new plant. They create a new frequency of a plant that can deal with that particular parasite. As human beings, we have the same capacity because we are made up of the elements, plants being one of the elements of earth, air, fire, water, water, mineral, crystals. uh, We're stellar beings. And so in this time, we want to focus on our spiritual, the spiritual aspect of who we are rather than the physical aspect. We want to really make the spiritual aspect strong. So that leads us um, into the offering to give thanks before the blessing has occurred. To get up in the morning, even if you just don't do anything but sprinkle tobacco, you could sprinkle, uh, you can lay a piece of fruit down, you can sing, you can dance on the earth, but you want to stay in a state of gratitude because the earth is the very essence, nature is the very essence of why we exist because spirit dwells in nature and nature feeds us everything that we need to do to stay alive on this planet. So an automatic, and it doesn't matter what religious practice you have or spiritual practice, nature understands kindness. Nature understands giving. And so when you give from that place, knowing that you are constantly receiving, because if nature were to collapse, now oxygen would collapse and we would collapse. So there's a, there's a symbiotic connection that we want to strengthen during this time of, um, during the time that we're in right now. It's really important because if you look at nature, nature hasn't stopped doing what, is, what it does. <laughs> She's still very vibrant. Even in the midst of all this, the message is stay connected and we will continue to recognize you. And I like to use that, uh, tell the story of the Lord of the Rings where the hobbits, you know, there were three hobbits and 3,000 forces against them. And the trees rose up and the trees wiped those forces out because they recognized the hobbits, because the hobbits recognized them. So right now, nature is our biggest ally and spirit and, and God, goddess, are our biggest allies right now, not focus of connecting and reconnecting with the ally and building a strong allyship with nature is is uh, definitely going to benefit us as individuals, our families, our communities, and ultimately around the globe. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Really, really, really beautiful um, and uh, really helpful. And and I, gosh, it just sounds so wonderful to be in that <laughs> hole. 
with everyone. Like, oh, well, I got to make my way down there. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, your grandmother, you she know, sounds wonderful. Yeah, she's she's still working with me. She's on the she's in the spirit realm, but that's that's another mm-hmm. conversation to also acknowledge our ancestors. I want to put that in there because our ancestors are are waiting to help. Sometimes we think we just you know we offer make offerings to our ancestors and acknowledge them, but they want to be put to work. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get to invite everyone to uh, tomorrow tomorrow at uh, five p.m. We're having a collective. A cyber conversation on this very same topic, and we want to hear from other people who you know may want to share um, different insights they have and we can you can sign up at uh, org and check out our uh, sign up and we'll send the information out to people that are interested. So I wanted to put that out there because this is an opportunity to hear from everyone. It'll be an open mm-hmm. forum. Oh, that should be really awesome. And then um, these conversations are available for people to revisit, which is nice. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, cool. I know our super, time's super. going short. It feels like that was I just talked for five minutes. I, I want to thank you, Wanda, <laughs> just for inviting me on the show and, and, and feeling, you know, and seeing the importance of this, this topic. I really appreciate the work that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yours, too. And I'm so happy that Ava, our, our mutual friend, um, you know, sent me the uh, the talk. Um, so then, um, and then she said, yo, yeah, she would love to be on your show. You gave me your numbers, like, cool. And then, and yeah, I was just, that's, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was reflecting, you know, with uh, Dina Dean, you know, on your partner that, um you know, I I I I would I went right away to get your um your um new traditional African dance as medicine um uh, DVD wow. that I bought when I first met you at the, yeah. uh, the women's um, dance camp I mean you know, drum camp excuse me um that uh, uh, Carolyn Brandy uh, facilitates and puts on in July and um, I don't know what July looks like you know this year but um. And I was really happy to to meet you and participate in in the Dudumba, um dance. You know the strong woman dance. It's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is really yeah. wonderful. And, and that 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 is a, this is a time to do that dance because that's an offering to the earth. And when you do mm-hmm. Dudumba barefoot on the earth, you you call forth all the strong uh, men and women who have done the dance. You call those ancestors forward. This is a, you know, there's one way to to reckon with things on a physical level, and there's another thing to reckon with them on a spiritual level. We have an untapped dowry, spiritual energy, whether it be ancestors, spirit guides, nature spirits that we've not even begun to tap into, and they're waiting to be put to work. Because the battle is not always physical. Uh, it has a spiritual component to it. And with every uh, pandemic situation, there's also uh, pandemic opportunities of goodness and kindness and creativity and resilience and adaptability that we have the capacity. So if we put our focus even 50% on that, then we can recreate a new reality. 
Mm-hmm. Instantly. Instantly. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I want to remind uh, people again that tomorrow um, at 5 o'clock at Earth Lodge Center, um, Queen Hollands is hosting a conversation, so you can go register for that. And and perhaps we can have you on, um, you know, at another time to talk more about about the work that you do. I would love to be, I would love to share any information that I have that will be uplifting. Absolutely. Oh, super. Awesome. Okay. Cool. I will send you an invitation. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. You take good care. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You all too. And don't forget to do something absolutely magnificent for the earth today. Blessings and right. Ashe. Blessings to you, Ashe. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Ah, good morning, Dr. V.S. Uh, Ooh, so I don't know how to pronounce your your last name. Um, so, say it again. Yes. Oh, okay. That's what I was gonna do. So Chesie and um, and grandmother, Mama Stajabu. How are you both? Considering, right. <laughs> yeah, wow. We're so happy to have you both on. You are a mother-daughter poetry duo originating from Camden, New Jersey, and you have self-published seven books of poetry, one sci-fi anthology, produced two spoken word CDs, and produced many programs in Sacramento. You have made over 600 appearances as featured readers, speakers, presenters, panelists, and workshop facilitators. Your writings have appeared in publications too numerous to name, um, and and you all are known as Straight Out Scribes. Um, Dr. V.S. Chochezi is a college professor, writer, poet, editor, Mosaic artist and photojournalist. Uh, grandmother Mama Stajabu is a writer, editor, producer, poet, health advocate, graphic artist, Air Force veteran, UC Davis retiree, and serves on the Sacramento Housing and Redevelopment Commission. And both are members of Zika Creative Arts and Literary Guild. And you can go to their website, straightoutscribes.com. So, again, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. oh, I'm well. I'm doing really good. It's been, I've had, like, such a wonderful morning so far, and you all are going to be like the icing on the cake, which is already sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, after we finished speaking, um, uh, uh, Sanana, um, I uh, I reread um, uh, Mama Sajabu's book, Caledonia's Daughters, because it's been a minute since you sent it to me. Was it last yeah. year or the year before? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I was like, okay, let me read it again. And um, it was so good the second time. <laughs> yeah, really, really, really love this book. It's so nice. Um, so anyway, I don't know, where do we start? Um yeah, do we start maybe with I, talking about hmm? I think you open that I think open that door. I think we should start with Caldonia's daughters. 
uh, okay. it's really okay. a project, you know, to work on. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the book for those who are listening. Uh, my mother and I are most noted for the poetry that we write and perform. Uh, however, we are writers. We write in other genres, and she's been, again, published in other uh, anthologies. So, for example, in um, Our Fathers, or Our Mothers, Bold, Brave, and Beautiful, and uh, and others, and so, and some of them, you know, Random Houses published, etc. And uh, we do belong to Zyka Creative uh, Writers Guild. And so, uh, the one of the people who he had come together for an anthology, and said, okay, you know, he really likes mom's stories, and asked her to submit something, and she did. And then he kept saying, well. You know, there needs to be a whole collection of your stories. You you have great stories. And that was sort of the fire uh, under the creativity for Caldonia's Daughters. So uh, I also do publishing, and we've most of our work we have self-published. And so uh, Mom asked me to publish her, her anthology of short, short stories. And uh, I said, okay, I, I got 10 things to do, but I can do 11. <laughs> and so uh, we put that together, and, and they are great stories. I think she'll tell you a little bit about some of the stories that are in there. Well, for one thing, the girls, my granddaughters, kept saying, you need to write a book, Grandma. You, know, <laughs> you need to write a book, because I've had over 100 jobs in my life. And, and I've written so many things, I, just, I tell them, I don't need to write a book. I've written everything. So this was my compromise as to uh, fulfilling their desire for me to write a book, was to write Calzonia's Daughters. And uh, the title came from the old song, uh, Caldonia. Caldonia. What make your big head so hard? Boom, it came out in the 50s. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was like a song that I heard in my, especially uh, when my dad was home. He loved that song. And uh, I heard it a lot on the radio and in different places. And it just always seemed like a, a background to my life, a background, one of the many songs. So. That play in my head when I think about um, me as a child growing up in Camden, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, I learned I learned a lot about science fiction from my brother who taught me how to read. He read Flash Gordon and a lot of comic books that took place in outer space, and some of my first drawings were of aliens from when I was like four or five years old. Uh, just a I had been so immersed in his reading that I learned to read from those comic books. So I wanted to pay tribute to him also by uh, involving, uh, and by getting my creativity involved in the science fiction world, now better known as another term. I can't even remember what it's called, but it's still sci-fi. Well, these stories are Afrofuturistic. And uh, they they actually preceded Black Panther, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we 
it. Now, uh, these short, short stories are all about black women in space, generational, you know, so seven generations of black women, starting with Caldonia. Oh, he mm-hmm. read the book. What do you think, Sandra? It started with the two Selena. She's telling the story of Calzone's daughters. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I just read it again, so it's kind of on my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mutha, Mutha, uh, Mutha Selena. Yeah, and 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 the you know sort of the the ritual of of yearly. Hearing your birth story, I thought that was so nice, um, and um, and then and then the uh, you know we we hear about these these um, uh, seven daughters, yeah, and um, <laughs> and 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 their their adventures, like you know, it's just so interesting. And then I just think, um, you know, in reading about about these um, generations. That come from these seven daughters, you know. Um, it's, there's like, okay, well, what happens after that? You know, after this rescue, you know, what happens after, you know, the criminal is captured? You know, what happens, you know, when you know the the uh, the people that are like seven feet tall? That's that's like the normal height, and this really beautiful uh, ancestor of, um, I mean, uh, off. Well, see. A future generation who's related and 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 they're like all over the galaxy, so they're they have populated other other communities and I think this particular um um protagonist um she's really stunning and she's a fashion designer, and she's got all this hair and she's not like seven feet but she's six something which is kind of short um but her hair makes up for it, and they're really trusting and 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 you know sort of um take care of people that are not doing so well and then meanwhile there there's this person who's telling the story. It the story doesn't end. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen after that? You know, because there's some danger, but we don't know what the danger is. And then the story ends with this guy who likes, you know, the woman um, he's protecting, but you know, it's just infatuation that he's not acting on. Um, <laughs> and then and then they can all have what up to twenty husbands. I'm like, oh, this is cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> And and then and then the um I think this might be the last no this is it's not is this the last story um no it's not the last story the last story is about the beauty thief which is so good but the one before that about running chapter six and I think about black folks running and and you really flip it you know you get have to get a walking permit running is the law I'm like wow running is what make, keeps us alive running is what makes us human and and. That is like amazing because you know we think about running. It's like if you run and you're an African person in this nation, you you might know that might be the last time your feet leave the ground, right? <laughs> right. That story came to me, and um, there's a park near where we used to live called McKinley Park. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. park. It has a small track around it. Around the park, and people run that track all the time. I mean, all around the park, there are places to run, but 
everybody runs on that track. The plot was like 50 people running on that track. There's so many people running and walking on that track. You have to say, excuse me. Mm-hmm. 
and it went out of oh. control. Mm. It covered everything. If you go to the south now, you'll see mm-hmm. house and everything's covered in kudzu. It's a big grain plant like ivy, only grows like three times as fast. Mm. And couldn't control it once it started. And the roots go real deep. You know, they, they, they've been experimenting with kudzu for years. But anyway, I was able to use that in the story, and I felt, you know, like, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And I think another, you know, another lesson from that story is is that, you know, there's consequences when you start messing with the natural balance, right, of, mm-hmm. of the planet, of people, of DNA, et cetera, and... And some of those consequences, obviously, usually we want the good consequences, but but the balance is you're going to sometimes come up with a surprise consequence that you weren't expecting, right? A negative one. Yeah. Like this pandemic. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. How's the pandemic treating you in Oakland? Are you in Oakland? Oh, am I in Oakland? Uh-huh. Is that what you said? Oh, um, I'm near Oakland. <laughs> What's it like there right now? Oh, um, well, when I looked out before I sat down in my office, it was sunny. <laughs> Yesterday it was raining. You know, last night it rained, and so the streets are were a little wet, and the leaves are wet on on the bushes in front of my window. But um, but it was beautiful, and I was I'm looking forward to going out, you know, for a bike ride, um, you know, a little later on this morning after we finish talking. Um, how's it look there? It's quiet. I went out yesterday to get groceries, and there were very few people on the street. There's one street that's very busy near me. Mm-hmm. It's hard to even make a left-hand turn on that street uh, because mm-hmm. of the cars or no cars. Mm-hmm. So oh. it is it seems it seems eerie at times. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh age group that are the people who are now very concerned about uh, they were before. <laughs> They're trying to figure out how to get rid of us. And so the young people that have our jobs, but now everybody's concerned about our welfare as elders and seniors and Yeah, I just like 
Oh, man, I'm so tired of having to worry about washing this and washing that. I would just stay inside and I only have to worry about my own germs today. And then yesterday um, went out for a bike ride and uh, went by the uh, beach because um, I wasn't sure if, um, you know, given what happened on, on Saturday, Sunday in Marin County, if they had closed off, you know, the beach, um, Crab Cove, and so I uh, I rode down there to see if we could still, um, you know, go up on the path. And so what they did is they, um, I saw that they had put yellow tape around the, the children's, I, wrote, I ride by a few parks, and so I, I saw they had put yellow tape around the um, the swings and, um, and and place structures for to make sure that parents didn't have their children on them, and then they had put put tape around around the picnic tables, the uh, the beach, um, but and there were less people than when I rode on Sunday, not Sunday was Sunday, yeah Sunday, yeah, um, and it's really easy being on the bike, you know. Um, I don't have to worry about so much traffic, like being worried that somebody's gonna not see my left hand signal. Uh, because there's nobody there. I look over my shoulder and everybody's being such a great, you know, mindful of pedestrians and everything. They're all the cars are almost like staying six feet behind and they're in a vehicle so they don't have to. Um so anyway, yeah, it's been kinda weird. Um uh you know, being on the street. Um I mean there's like a plus side to it in that you don't have to worry so much. But then it's like, wow, you know, where? And then so many cars are parked, right? It's like, wow, there's like no parking spots on the street. It's like every day is Sunday, you know, everybody's visiting family because nobody's moving. Yeah, really. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. But um. This is gonna give me some food next Spotify. Yeah. Well, you know, like I was just reading, you know, reading your stories again, you know, last night, and I was seeing, um, you know, some some parallels, you know, like particularly, you know, we're talking about spirit song and the running, um, and uh, and you know, the walking permit, and I was just thinking, you know, since your stories predate um, Black Panther the film, and and how in this particular story it talked about how technology. Um, you know, just sort of really undermine quality of life. And so they had to get back to making things simpler. And I just thought about Wakanda, right? The whole thing, Wakanda was so deceptive because people were hurting, you know, and, you know, in the marketplace with textiles, like actually weaving, right? (laughs) Um. You know, everybody wasn't on a computer. You know, everyone wasn't like, you know, sort of what you would think necessarily might people might be occupied with, given you know the uh, vibranium, you know, that that high level energy source. And right. and in this story, you know, they they live to be average two hundred years old, um, right. and and but they're farming like the person who's you know who's <laughs> who's who's telling us the story you know is in in the story is one of addiction right um you know being addicted yeah. to gambling in this case um 
I mean, you would think girlfriend would like get a grip and get a, and understand. She kept on getting all these chances, right? <laughs> it is just so funny, and 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 the ending is fine here. We don't need more, but uh, <laughs> it's just amazing. Like, what's going on with this child? Lord have mercy! Like, what? She is like she needs she needs she needs a recovery program. And I'm wondering, like, when are they going to, like, you know, you think about incarceration, right, or, you know, she's going to be sent to a convert or something or another. But I'm like, she needs to go into some kind of 12-step something or whatever steps they have at that particular point. <laughs> right. And she wasn't alone. I mean, you know, that was the um, the one flaw in the human species. Well, actually, there was two, but the one was, Uh, you can move it a little closer. 
Future women don't take no much from nobody. They know the deal. They're for real, for real. Saving lives, civilizations, star systems, and planets with their knowledge and skills. When some entity steps to them all ill off the wall and in their face, future women don't hesitate to put them in their place by any means necessary. They fly, they soar, they got big guns galore and know how to use all kinds of technology. Remember Uhuru? The Enterprise couldn't do nothing without her on the board, and hordes of other future women have saved the day, the hour, with their prowess, their power, talking in midair, changing colors and shapes as they leap into space out of wormholes or trees. These bold sisters don't play and are as serious as can be about what they do. Action is their middle name and setting things right their claim to fame. Niobe, Princess Laila, Queen Latifah, Trinity, Mystique, Lilu, Storm, Sister Soldier, Rocket, Zena. You can take it as a warning or a prophecy. Future women are on the rise in this galaxy. Look, up in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? <laughs> Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that poem. It was so awesome. <laughs> so, Sanana, um, what's your response poetically? Oh, my poetic response to future women? Ooh, I, I'm not ready for that question. <laughs> <laughs> talk, about, talk about the history, you know. Um, I wanted to talk about art and women. And uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when we have a crisis, many times we do respond as artists. Uh, sometimes we just respond as just making it an outlet, right, without necessarily a political commentary. But we tend mm-hmm. to lean towards political stuff. So um, this is a tribute to Elizabeth Catlett who was an artist. Nice. Yeah. And um, and, and it appears in our book, Mud Cloth Roots. So I'm going to read that one out of Mud Cloth Roots. Is that cool? Oh, that's fine. Yeah, and I just want to let folks know, just we were just mentioning Elizabeth Catlett um, because um, her work is a part of the uh, exhibit that just closed at the De Young Museum in San Francisco, um, uh, Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power, which is on its way for its final stop in, I think, Houston, Texas. But in this piece, um, I think it's called Unity, you see a fist on one side of the, the carved wood. It's a big, big fist. And then on the other side, you see uh, a figure of what could be a man and a woman. And it's so cool because if you're looking at the fist side, you don't know that on the other side they're black people. <laughs> And so so people were, like, taking pictures with the fist part, you know, the black power fist. And I told the brother, um, you know, that was in the gallery that was really, you know, like really loved the fist. I said, oh, don't forget to look on the other side. There's people. And he said, oh, really? And he went around, you know, and I'm like, he's like, wow, you know, because he, he, he thought it was he was finished. So I also, you know, want to tell people you should always walk around the art 
you know, don't just do uh, one side of it, it's all of it. But, yeah, so just thinking about black power and think about Elizabeth Catlett, who was like, oh, my God, she's so, wow, just so phenomenal in all of her work and, and her and her um, stance, too. And then you think about, you know, her marrying, you know, the uh, the Mexican muralist, um, uh, Mora, I believe, and um, that's his last name, not his first name. And uh, and then I'm thinking about going back to Caledonia's daughters and um, <laughs> and the uh, um, uh, the Bye-bye. husband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, there is um, a lot of mixtures in Caledonia because that's where we are. You know, as people, we're mixing. We're closer together. And there's no boundaries in terms of who you love and love anyone. And Elizabeth Catlett has inspired us to do many other poems, too. Uh, there's a there's, there's a Sojourner Truth um, statue by her in the uh, back of the art museum in the Crawford Art Museum. I can talk. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that. I can't hesitate. So you mentioned a statue of um, Elizabeth Catholic next to Sojourner Truth. Where? It's a, it's a Sojourner Truth um, statue done by Elizabeth Catlett and the Carpenter oh, Museum did on one. the first. Yeah, oh. One time oh. it had been. It had, it had been. One time it was at the convention center and somebody broke it all up and vandalized it and. Sojourner Truth statue. Oh my goodness! Some haters, man. Wow. And it's a big ass statue too. It's like nine feet tall, or something like that. Whoa. They sure do. When they decided to put that statue outside, can I talk now? Yes. Outside the convention center, we were in. I believe you were there, but maybe not. I can't remember. No. Oh, okay. So, but they they um they had a service like a dedication service uh, when they put the statue outside the convention center, and they asked me to uh, participate and and do some poetry around it. And I and at that time when they asked me, I didn't I hadn't heard of Elizabeth Catlett, and I didn't know her story. So I went and did some research, which is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And this poem is the result of that. Oh, wow. What a nice yeah. story. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful gathering. Uh, it was a small gathering. That the press was there and everything. And then, you know, maybe, I don't even think it was six months later, they, they vandalized it. And so... 
And mm. so then, you know, <laughs> we had to do start all over again uh, to fight to get it. And yes, Kevin Hellon, who's a, a phenomenal artist uh, based in Sacramento, uh, led that led a lot of that fight. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Catlett Tribute, daughter of ex-slaves, woman of my grandmother's generation. Her art was more than an appreciation of beauty. Her heart more than swelled for the aesthetic. Her heart ached, and her art served as social commentary, reflecting her passion and values, reflecting her appreciation of black struggle, workers, and womanhood, she practiced solidarity and chose not fleeing, not becoming a fugitive, but a conscientious objector to a racist America. She opted to live the majority de su vida, painting and sculpting black and brown gente among a rich Mexican terrain. And though she now rests among the ancestors, her creations will undoubtedly continue to inspire generations to express not just for art's sake, but to uplift, honor, respect, and stand up for justice. Long live Elizabeth Catlett. Viva! Amen and Asha. And, and one of the reasons that I really wanted to leave that one is because I think that, you know, the pandemic will end and people will go back to whatever they can salvage of their lives. And uh, I think that people forget to uh, deal with the issues that we deal with every day, like racism and sexism and, you know, ageism and, and genderism, right? So um, I, I just wanted to inspire artists to remember that, you know, they're all these causes will still exist when the pandemic ends, most likely. It would be wonderful if the pandemic cured all that, but I doubt it. So uh, if you're going to make art, hopefully you're going to make art that, that speaks to the issues. <laughs> well, I, that was our first knowledge of Elizabeth Catlett, but we did a uh, program at the Clark Museum one year. They asked us to write to an exhibit. That was the first time I think anyone asked us to write to an exhibit where we were allowed to go in the museum before anyone else and see the uh, exhibit and make notes and then uh, produce a program uh, with poems about some of the art. And we did that. And Elizabeth Catlin gave us a piece. It was called the Walter O. Evans Exhibit of African American Art from 1930-something to 1980-something. And there was a sculptor, homage uh, to black women poets by Elizabeth Catlin in 19, that was done in 1984. And uh, it inspired me to write a poem called Black Women Poets. And it was dedicated to my daughter, Sonata, on her Earth Day. And uh, since it's Women's Month, I plan to, we had planned to do that as one of our weaves. Have you, have you heard us do a weave before, too? 
A weave, you said? Yeah, a weave. This is what we're known for. Yeah, so I, we're gonna, yeah. I, mm-hmm. You're going to do a weave now? Yeah, is that cool? So that sounds great. Uh, I wanted to men- I wanted to mention uh, to folks that um, <clears throat> I found um, the uh, the the piece the sculpt the sculpted piece um, in its first iteration, you know, um, at the convention center, and um, and there uh, and then it, it there's a note by um, someone who visited the site that it was moved, you know, um, to the Crocker, and the person says that. It would be better. It would be good, better, if the um, <laughs> if the Crocker uh, Museum had the uh, the statue in a more prominent location. Uh, I don't know where it is in the museum. Do you agree with that? That it should be in a more prominent location. I, I think maybe it got moved after that because I think it's in the courtyard outside. No, but, oh, it's not. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. It's right by one of the theaters. Um, I don't know. I would have to. I, I'm a volunteer at the Crocker, so I'm in there all the time, and uh, I see it all the time. So I don't know. Uh, people <laughs> they want everything in their face, but it's impossible in the museum to have everything in a prominent position. Uh, but there is an African art exhibit that's been up for a long time, which is on the in the balcony, so I'm not even going to get into that. I, I, I would say it's in a good position right now um, mm-hmm. to see. If you've gone looking for it, you'll see it on the first floor. You can just walk down the hallway towards the uh, theater and meeting room. It's right there. So that, to me, mm-hmm. is fine. It's on the third floor somewhere in the back. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know um, uh, Elizabeth Catlett, gosh, she was born in 1919, and I think about um, Delilah Beasley, um, who you know, Sanana, you know, given your journalist background, um, you know that she wrote Slavery in California in 1919, and she also wrote um, her famous book uh, about um, African American trailblazers in California. That was also a 1919 publication. And she was the first um, uh, woman to write for the Oakland Tribune. And she oh. was a real activist. She stirred up stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so last year was the centennial um, of of um, of both, both their births, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Catlett and, and Delilah Beasley. And also I wanted to mention that um, Elizabeth Catlett, she's got a piece called I Am... I'm Sojourner Truth, and it's a wood uh, a woodcut print that she did in yeah. 1947. So Sojourner Truth is not someone that she was coming to for the first time when she made this beautiful statue. And Sojourner Truth, um, who people know probably from her speech, Ain't I a Woman, she was a statuesque woman. You know, she was tall and, you know, and took up space. <laughs> you know, in 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 you know in in the particular settings where she was. Right. Yeah, I said you know in that poem that she was uh, of my grandmother's generation. My grandmother mm-hmm. was born in 1915. Uh, okay. Yeah, 19- she was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 
So, it, you know, you can make those parallels. Uh, I, I did, I was fortunate to be able to know my grandmother and spend mm. time with her. My nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to insight into the generation and how they how they approach life. And of course, you can't generalize things to everybody of a particular you know a category. But you know, you just get a, one insight into that generation. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was a my mom and my daddy too. Yeah. So, was was your mom was your mom from um did because I, mean, I know you were born in in Philadelphia. Is your was your mom um, also a Philadelphia native, or did she and your dad um, travel there from somewhere else? I was from Kentucky, Mississippi, and dad was oh. from Greenwood, South Carolina. Oh. When they were oh wow. Part of the uh, probably. Nobody else. I don't 
feeling about the human species. I don't think they're hopeless. I just think they're um, temporarily insane. <laughs> and eventually we'll get it together. Maybe when everyone starts running again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> um. Well, you all didn't get a chance to, like, talk about sort of the intersection of art and poetry, so art and writing. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that and talk about, um, you know, the uh, uh, MOVE uh, uh, family and um, the MOVE 9 being home now, those those that, you know, survived the, the experience of incarceration and sort of what's going on with Mumia and how Ramona is doing now, et cetera, et cetera. Well, where do you want us to start? Okay, art. Wherever you like. Art. <laughs> okay, art. Because we're doing art. We are poets and writers, but we're also artists. I am a graphic artist, and if you look at Count Bunny's daughter, I did the uh, graphics on the cover and throughout the book. And in doing that, I had a it gave me a chance to uh, use some skills that I don't normally get a chance to use because people have me talking all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And also because of Calzonia's daughters, I started a line of brooches. Uh, I started using clay and broken jewelry pieces to make brooches that, in my mind, uh, mirror some of the characters in Caledonia. So, in writing, it piqued my creative juices. It pricked my creative juices. And now I have over 64 pieces, 64 brooches. And I also started making space rings, like wire rings that have different gemstones and calories and things on them. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know I could do that. So one genre of or well, one art activity leads into another. If you love it, if you're open and receptive to it. I wanna shout out the uh, Sacramento Sisters Quilting Circle because they uh offer different workshops and I and I became a member maybe a year and a half ago. Uh they do other things besides quilting, and uh, sometimes, and, and usually the workshops just come with your membership, but it's a very, you know, uh, reasonable membership fee. And so they did a workshop on how to use clay molds to uh, to make these clay molds and, and make different things like refrigerator magnets and brooches. But I'll take a class and I'll make the one thing and come home with it and stick it on my refrigerator. My mom takes a class and next thing you know, she got a hundred rings she done made uh <laughs> a brooches, which is uh, you know, phenomenal. But she is retired, sort of. <laughs> and I'm I'm still working, so Yeah, I'm trying to retire, but they won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. Dr. Chelsea's daughters are artists in their own right. Um, the oldest one, Jess and Seattle, is a uh, 
I don't know what kind of artist she is, but she spent a lot of money to be here. <laughs> she went to a fine art and, and uh, came out and started making stuff and doing all kind of big electronic installations and things. Mm. And she also designed the cover to Caledonia's uh, Daughters uh, for us. And she's helped us on a lot of other projects. Uh, Tisha is an amazing writer, Tisha Ward. She has three children. She's an amazing writer and uh, culturalist. So we, art runs in our family, actually. My mother was a quilter and crochets. I think she could crochet a house girl because she could crochet. Uh-huh. And uh, my sister, who receives recipes, Tawili, uh, she she was a, a wonderful seamstress. She made everything. So we called her, she was named after my mom. Her name is Grace, too. And we called her Sewing Grace. She's different between the two. So, yeah, art and writing, is that what it is? Go hand in hand. We've some experiences where, you know, Again, like she said, with uh, going into the museum and being inspired by the art and then writing poetry to it and then sharing that poetry with people who are coming through to view the art uh, or just, you know, just being inspired by the poetry. So uh, the the collection that we have, African Reflections, uh, was mm-hmm. uh, born from... Is, you know, viewing that Walter O. Evans uh, collection of African-American art. I believe it's housed at one of the black colleges. I can't think of which one right now. But uh, uh, that collection, the Walter O. Evans collection. But, yeah, and one of the reasons why we started doing the the spoken word was to help educate people about Mooney's case and spread the word to try to get people to, you know, actively seek justice for Mooney. Back in the day, that was a long time ago. It was 30 some years, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we figured. Okay, people don't know about movies, so whenever we do a program, we would have petitions. Then we would try to keep them from killing him on death row. So it was really urgent that people know about this case and respond to it uh, in a way that will help um, save his life because it was a life or death situation. So mm-hmm. we, uh, whenever we did a reading or a book signing or anything, we would have petitions. And we would tell people about Mumia and the Moo family. And now that the Moo family is all out after 40 years, it's going to make a big difference in how much energy can be dedicated to Mumia's case alone. Because you can imagine having nine members of your family all in jail, in different jails all over the country, or all over the East Coast. And having to support them on a day to day basis. So now that everyone's out, Mona's doing better. Last I heard, she was doing 
better. Um, mm-hmm. She's still rehabilitating from her stroke, and uh, she's getting stronger. Mumia is doing better. He still had one eye surgery he needed to have, and back to her, they were working on trying to get that done. Mm-hmm. So his case is locked down right now in the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to have a master's investigate the case uh, looking to find that Larry Krasner has some ties to the Lumia case and trying to find a conflict of interest so that they can keep him locked out as long as they can. That's where we are right now. And they've asked for a hearing or the result of that investigation by August 1st. So we're waiting, and right now everything is on hold because of the pandemic. But as soon as, this, as, soon as we're uh, free again, because we do, right now we've got a limited as to gatherings, you'll be hearing more about protests. And they were meeting before the pandemic on strategies to help um, ensure that this does not, that investigation does not. Uh, cause Lumia to stay locked down and that the truth is told in some way, in some form. So there was some really great momentum around Mumia's case. They found all these boxes that had been withheld from Mumia's lawyers and uh, when, you know, that would have helped to possibly, um, you know, it was evidence that was withheld from his from his defense attorney. And so when they found all that evidence, of course, they wanted to go back uh, to say, hey, we need another trial, or maybe even declare a mistrial, and, you know, let the dude free. I might be not using the correct terms here, but that's the, you know, general idea of it. And then they came back with this verdict of, oh, we got a review, and, and, and uh, you know, hire this master person and all this stuff. So it kind of derailed the momentum a little bit. It was, like, it was kind of jarring because we really thought we were close. Like, ah, oh, this is it. Obviously, they have the boxes. They can't deny it, right? But no, that was, that's not how it went. They always come up with something else, right? They really want to stop Mumia. Mumia's voice is so prolific. He has a way of seeing through the nonsense and and really reaching people with his messages, and so it's so important to, to free him. But we 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 are always celebrating the victories. We celebrate the victories of stopping the the two uh, death sentences. They tried to uh, kill him on death row. And obviously mm-hmm. the victories of all those members uh, who survived jail, the seven, who survived coming home. Yeah, and they were uh, full African, rest in peace, Delbert, Merle, after rest in peace, Janine, Chuck, Mike, Debbie, Janet, and Eddie, who were jailed from August 8, 1978, until their recent release. And uh, every yeah, I'm going to them. Yes, much respect. And uh, 
she has other audience members, they get an opportunity to write in the card, and then she sends it to Momia. And that happens, you know, fairly regularly, like once a month or something like that. Yeah, I try to send them a card once a month. I've been writing them so long. Uh, he knows the whole family, right? Um, um, and he has a new book coming out. He has two books um, that uh, he's published. That he sends me everything to get published. So, uh, or, um, you know, well, hand her hand out through Romeo. He's just right, and he's, since he's better, he's writing more. And there's all kinds of programs being planned, so keep your ears on www.freemumia.com. We'll keep you updated on everything happening and everything that's going on in that arena. And we have so many people in dire straits. We're trying to keep up with everybody. We have six poets in Sacramento, people who are aging, so we have a lot of people to keep up with plus the three grandchildren and everybody else. And we do spend time, we contribute to Clinton Radio and in a myriad of other charities with our proceeds from the books that we sell. We contribute to loaves and fishes, mustard seeds, and we help any poet in need. We go see the sick people. Uh, we take them stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be surprised how glad they are to have a pair of socks or something like that. It's, it's very rewarding in terms of, of feeling good about what we do. And this is our 30th year of uh, producing, writing uh-huh. together. 30 years. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I met you all, um, it was, you know, when Mumia was getting ready, they were trying to execute him on Marcus Garvey's birthday, and we had the poetic protest, and you all were a part of it. You were living right there in West Oakland um, off of um, 18th, I think. Yeah, Right, exactly. Yeah, you had a nice. Um, it was Victorian. I remember coming because you had you hosted meetings there. <laughs> I remember uh, coming to your house, and then you all moved well, to Sacramento. I remember um, the candlelight poets. Light poets with attitude. Oh yeah, yeah, with uh, Avacha and Abimbala and. Um, and uh, Beverly, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that was those are fun days. Not many people know about black poets with attitudes. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. People tell me that all the time. How do you remember stuff like that? So yeah, I remember that was great. That's where I. That's where our poetry got started. Actually, Salon and I started reading with them, and. Mm-hmm. After a while, they would call us as a page, you know, like first it was just me, and then she moved there, and she mm-hmm. came to the readings, and she would read, and then they would talk to treat us like a team, so that's how it really we started developing our poetry as a, as a duo. Mm-hmm. And we were writing on before, before that. Yeah, 
that's what, that's where the spoken word thing came about. Yeah, for sure. Part of the team, right? Yeah, because we had moved from Delaware here. Uh, we were at Delaware State College or Delaware State University. And I was a student, an employee, and we helped do programs there too. And that was like in the 80s. Dang, we've been around a long time. <laughs> I'm not talking anymore. <laughs> well, 30th anniversary, you know, that's that's significant. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's really great. Um, you know, when when you 30 years, you are an institution straight off scribes, right? I mean, you got all all those books, you know. Um, yeah, you are well documented. I went to your website and I was looking for how to get some of those rings and brooches and um you know, we could look at it, but how do you buy them? Um, you have an online sales um, no. section. We were getting no? ready. Oh, yeah. We were getting ready to do the big unveiling of the uh, line, the jewelry line. Oh yeah, the one that was coming up. Yeah, I got that email. Mm-hmm. And I was going oh. to figure that out after we um, did our first exhibit. So yeah, as far as I know, they can only they will not be available until after we do the program of the exhibit. Okay. Of wearable art, brooches and bow ties. Jerry Simpson has been gracious enough to let us use his studio for various programs. He's an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing artist, and he has an exhibit in Oakland right now. As um. He is one of the best and most versatile artists. He's also a fashion designer. And I'm a frustrated fashion designer, too. I love making my own clothes, and I do it all by hand. So he has some amazing machines that he sews on, and he does uh, fashion shows. He's a photographer. He's a writer. Talk about connecting writing and art. He's a visual artist. He's an actor. Um, he has a sister here, Kimberly Marshall. She does. Uh, she got a, a project, a five-year project to do Macbeth every year um, for five years, and mm-hmm. she did the first one as a reading at Celebration Arts, which is a local black um, theater, and mm-hmm. then she did uh, and with an all-black cast. It was cool, and then she stayed the play. She directed it and uh, and adapted it. And if you can you imagine an all black cast doing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth took the, took the show really. I mean, it was phenomenal. But yeah, Jerry was uh, the king in in the play. So he's an actor. He sings. He <laughs> he does everything pretty right. much. And the show is at the uh, Care Art Gallery, twenty three twenty five East 12th.
that. Yeah, that. well, let me let yeah. me know, you know, when when you reschedule the brooches and bow ties um uh show and yeah, I'll I'll check on down there so you can share hey. the maybe I can spend the weekend. Yeah, cuz it's kind of a journey, you you know, since I don't come down to Sacramento often. It's not like LA, but it's it's you have to plan yeah. for it. So I'll just I'll just hang out for the weekend. Yeah. Hey, so so Mhm. Cool, cool. Yeah. I will do that. Oh, I know your I know your home is always open to me. You you always tell me that. No problem. You can say what. Right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was wondering um is there anything else you want to um say about about your uh you know, your art and activism um um before, you know, you share maybe a closing weave or poem or both, you know, you could both do separate poems or whatever, um, however you want to do it. Okay. Uh, you know, we could talk all day. One time we did an eight-hour program in a prison. So, mm, really? Uh, eight hours? Yeah. So the prison? Did it in a woman, so they wouldn't have to go back to their cells. So we just, they said if you don't have to go back to ourselves, so we read from all our books, okay? And we had a good time. Was oh, happy. nice. Was, was it at so was it at CCWF? Where, where was it at? That's when Dulcia Pagan was still locked down and uh, gives thanks to Arden Robinson too. Yeah. 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 So we've done a lot of work with prisoners through the years. Um, we can do a weave. Um, this is one we use a lot to close out programs, and uh, we'll do it for you. Okay, thank Ready? you. Revolution and Master? No? Okay. All right. All right. Y'all better wake up. Move. You better wake no. up. Now, Sister, Yeah, I appreciate it. 
you are the following me to Meg, and then you you had to be on the radio earlier than us. So. <laughs> yeah, who was the guest before us? Oh, um, we had a, um, a Queen Hollands who has the uh, Earth Lodge Center. She was on um, before you all, and you know you heard you caught the uh, the last part of her, um, you know her, you know um, sort of blessing us with some strategies, um, you know, to be more um, earth centered and to use those tools, you know, that our allies, you know, have available for us you know, the trees and the flowers and the plants, as well as, you know, our ancestors who we don't talk, we don't ask enough to, to work on our behalf. You know, we might pour libations, but then we to like, give them things to do because they're not busy <laughs> and they love us and they have all this time. That's what they have plenty of. So it's like, give them things to do. And so it was Queen Holland. She's out of Southern California uh, with her Earth Lodge Center. And then before her, uh, who you missed completely was uh, Baba um, Opensanwo um, Ifa Koredi uh, Fadairo, and he's a uh, Baba Lao, and so he was sharing, uh, you know, information about about his tradition and about uh, about um, getting readings, and and then he was also talking about herbs and herbal healing. And, and remedies that are right there in our cabinet, but we don't know <laughs> that they're there, or right outside in our garden, or right outside on the street where we live, because there are a lot of wild herbs growing as a part of the landscape that we don't recognize because we don't know how to read them. So anyway, yeah, so it's been a, a really, really great morning, and you all are just like, you know, like I said, the icing on a sweet, sweet morning already, you know? Yes, thanks. You asked if there was anything we wanted to add, and uh, I would like people to know that they can uh, like us on Facebook, straight out scribes on Facebook. We're on the gram, Instagram. It's straight out scribes on Instagram. And you already said the website, www.straightoutscribes.com. And it's, uh, you know, really direct spelling, S. T-R-A-I-G-H-T, out, scribes, all one word for all of those platforms. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we can, they can reach us uh, through our website. They can contact us, uh, send us an email, send us a contact uh, question, whatever. So they right. can reach us. We're reachable. <laughs> and, and I want people to know. They shouldn't eat junk food or sugar while they're being um, limited, restricted. Yeah. I can talk, okay. <laughs> so I read a book called Ticket, um, Breaking Up With Sugar, and I haven't had sugar in many, many days. And I feel so calm right now that uh, I would, I think people should just uh, be careful what they eat while they have all that energy that they're not able to um, relate by running around in their cars and everything and finding parking spaces and yelling at people through the windows and everything. And just chill. Eat plant-based whole foods and drink plenty of water. And I think everybody will be a lot better off. Mm-hmm. And do yeah, yoga. And- I do yoga every day. 
then it um it processes the extra time too. And so all of it's there. I have until like eleven. I have an extra hour. Oh, okay. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but yeah, it's just that people who are not in the studio can't hear it. Like if if people are listening, they are still listening, but no one could call in at, after ten o'clock. Mhm. Yeah, that's how it works. So it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, that you get. You know, I get this extra cushion just in case people who are my guests, the latter guests, want to talk a little longer, or I want to play something from the archives, I can because I have that extra, you know, hour cushion. Mm-hmm. Do you have our CD, Wanda? Uh-uh. No, I was reading. It's like, oh, when I was looking at your voluminous, um, you know, Avita, <laughs> it's like, like, whoa, I was like, wow, if I had if I had some of their, their, their recordings, then I could play something. And I kept on trying to, like, email you while I was talking to other people, and it's just I I I couldn't because I was just taking notes <laughs> so I could keep up. <laughs> so I I didn't get a chance to email you. So no no I don't um I don't have your CD. Mm-mm. But if you, you want to if you, uh, oh yeah. you oh you did you you mean no, you sent me one and I just I'm, didn't notice it. Oh you will okay super thank you thank you yeah and, you and if you want to um I could play it on the air. Mm-hmm sure. Oh, if you wanted to send me something like, you know, just send me an MP3, a few of them, then I could um, just download and upload them really quickly and, you know, while while I'm waiting for, for everything. Um, I, I just have to like stop procrastinating. 
um, wait until Sunday to have everything together, right? <laughs> yeah, but I've been teaching these classes online for a while, so I just need to just fix the dates for the for the new class that was face to face and now it's not. But the other ones, um, I just need to like finish the semester because it was just up to the point where we didn't meet anymore, where we had spring break last week, and now we're still off, and we're back on on the 7th. And so yeah, I just need to go in and fix the dates, and all I just need to go open up everything through the end of the semester, just in case people want to just run through it, and and then uh-huh. just and then I'm so bad on grading papers. I need to grade their papers. I'm like so behind. Like oh my god, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm I'm teaching well, writing. I'm not the only one like that. That's that's good. <laughs> Oh, really? I thought I was the only one like that. I thought everybody else had it handled. I'm like, oh, it's, I mean, it's so easy to assign the work, you know, but then you got to read all that, you know, it's like, and you probably have those really big classes, you know, like those forum kind of classes. You have like, because mine, mine are capped at 30. Are yours, are yours capped at 30 or do you have more than 30 students? Most of my classes are capped at thirty because we have oh, the speech company. So they have you know, they have to do speeches and you gotta mm-hmm. get all those there. So you you know, you can only get so many in in a particular amount of time and also offer instruction, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the right. more they give me the less instruction I can give them, you know. Mhm. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not all of them, so but right now I don't have any classes that have more than thirty. Yeah. But I have five classes, mm-hmm. so that's not. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. So your classes must be three unit classes. They're all three unit classes. Yeah. Mm. Mhm. Yeah, because we have some classes that are five unit. I'm not teaching any of them, but um, so I have I have most of my classes are four units. Because they're one A, you know. Um, I've got a I've got an English five that's three, critical thinking, which is, you know, the one that you know you can have critical thinking as speech communications, and you can also have critical thinking as a, just a strictly writing class. But but they're both argument. So I've got one three unit, which is you know, you're probably teaching one of those classes too. But yours are, um, but yours are. Or they have to give the speech, and then I've got the other, the other. Um, I've got two four unit, and then I had another three unit. But that class is I can't do that one online. It it just won't work. So um, uh, I'm not sure what we're gonna do with that one. We might just have to cancel it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's a college readiness class, and it was at a homeless um, uh, center. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was really nice. All the women were in their fifties. Um well, mm. only a couple weren't. Yeah, and um, you know, just sort of just sort of like redirecting their lives, doing something different. Not that they needed to have a career come out of their college um courses or degree program, but just, you know, college is good, just helping you keep your your faculties moving. And also to help you sort of understand how this society is organized, I think I think that's the the I think that's what we get mostly from from this particular system. It's not about 
you know, becoming a better human being all the time necessarily. It's just like how do they do what they do, <laughs> you know, so then you could be – so then they can't do what they do to us because we understand their system. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I think it's really good if we had our own, you know, two-year colleges, and then and then we prepare our people, and then, you know, for the, you know, to get the, the grad, the undergraduate degree after we get them for two years, then it's like they can't get them because a lot of times, you know, young people go in to these systems, you know, to these community colleges. They go in one way and they come out. We don't recognize them, you know. Uh huh. I think the name is our is one of our colleges. Is it not like that anymore? What's that? I think of Laney as being a predominantly black college. Is it not like that anymore? Oh no, there are no predominantly black um, Peralta colleges. We've got a lot of administrators that are um, that are people of African descent. But as far as faculty, those faculty have retired or died oh. in their boots. Oh. Yeah, you know, there used to be like, yeah, it used to be Peralta, like Merritt, Laney, Alameda, oh. Berkeley City. You know, we had like those those folks. But those folks uh-huh. are not there anymore. They retired, and they were not replaced with other people of African descent. No, most of most of the faculty are white, Asian. There's um there are a lot of there are some African um administrators. I don't know if there are any African faculty, but there are a lot of African, particularly East African, um, from Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia students. But I don't know if we have any faculty that represents that demographic. But no, no, there's not a whole lot of black teachers. Like at College of Alameda, there are only um, two full-time, myself and one colleague. And then we've got, you know, a lot of adjunct, but not a lot of adjunct African diaspora folks. Oh, wow. We, we, you know, we had, we, had a, we had an Asian woman teaching um, black studies, not black studies, but African-American literature. Mm. 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 Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, the creative writing, I don't want to teach it, but the creative writing is, is taught by a white man and a white woman. And um, actually, maybe, maybe, I'm trying to think. There there was an African-American um, faculty adjunct who taught online, and I, I don't know if he taught literature or if he taught creative writing. I'm not sure exactly what he taught, but he's adjunct and um Yes, and Laney, I don't know how many, I mean, I know, like, there's Emoja, and that's run by an African-American woman, faculty. Thank you. Hmm? Huh? Say it again. Oh, yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, but, you know, um, at other places, you know, Emoja might be, um, (laughs) yeah, it's, you know, they got, Emoja's got, yeah, it's got its issues around around different colleges not letting not not even having black faculty to even send through there. So they got white folks teaching, you know, all the black courses because they don't have no black faculty. It's like, well, duh, won't you hire some, right? Like, there's a whole lot of black folks that need full time jobs <laughs> oh. who are qualified. But you're not looking. 
Well, that makes me think of paradise. They love everything oh. about you but you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That that poem is just so current, continues to be so current. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know yourself, you know, higher education is its own thing. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, I mean, even like, you know, trying to get the doctorate, that is within itself. Nah, we're not, we only going to let so many black folks get that doctorate. We're going to make it so difficult. We're going to make it so toxic that you're going to like, if you live through the process, you know, if you live through the process, uh, or you might just like say, uh-uh, it ain't worth my life. No, mm-mm. Yeah, there's so many black folks that are ABD. They've gone through mm-hmm. the whole yeah. and don't have, couldn't do the dissertations because it was just too crazy. Mm-hmm. They wanted too yeah. much blood. Yeah, yeah I'm Solana, one of those. I'm one of those black folks. <laughs> uh, not, I didn't following, even. Hmm? Solana was talking about doing something deep to her, committed mm-hmm. to write her dissertation. I had to calm her down. She she mm. wanted Uzi. She was talking about Uzi and something. No, that was the master's. The oh. master's program. That's <laughs> thing. Yeah. And the blues. But that's it. Well, you know, in retrospect, because I got mine, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. I highly recommend it. Yeah, right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think all of us in my my little cohort, we all ended up in hospital for something or another through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was bad because I um. Yeah, because I didn't um I didn't get to the the PhD. They they stopped me at the um at the at the graduate level, and I already had a master's. And and they threw in that master's before your PhD as opposed to just PhD, and I didn't I didn't read it right, and I didn't know I was going to have to get a master's first, and uh, yeah, I got really really sick um, during that process, and then they kept on saying, do you do you really want to be here? Like uh, maybe this program's not for you, and da 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 da. After then, after that, I didn't got in debt for like, you know what. Twenty thousand dollars <laughs> more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's so anyway, they make us spend all our money to get the dang thing. So, and then we're gonna come in making less than everybody else. So you know, mm-hmm. we know how it works, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad I did it. I am. I'm glad I did it. I think I, I got a lot out of it. I think it's working for me. Mm-hmm. We've had to a lot since we've been brought here. We have to find ways to get around the system, over the system, under the system, and using mm-hmm. our creativity is what has allowed us to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, fearless. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we mm-hmm. lost a lot of people. Some people can't make it. They try. But, yeah, I always found ways to get around the system. Uh, whenever someone tells me I can't do something, that's when I have mm-hmm. to do it. <laughs> I have to do it. Yeah. I think we should do revolution mm-hmm. and mindset. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> we're not recording. Yeah, we're anymore. done. Yeah, okay. we're still recording. Yeah, we're still recording. Um, I just wanted to mention, um, when you were talking to Jabu, I was just thinking again about Caledonia's daughters, um, Methuselina and Eternal Spring. You know, when she talks about, uh, she's talking, you know, telling, um, you know, her younger, uh, I guess, granddaughter, her her Earth story. And then she's sort of reviewing, you know, the Earth story involving the transatlantic slave trade. And she said, you learn that through your history implants, right? Uh, so you know that one group of folks went to another continent on Earth, enslaved others numbering in the millions and spanning four centuries, then used and mistreated them for the sole purpose of making money while developing their country. Most of these those enslaved came from the continent of Africa. Well, it took about 400 years of struggle to to get the enslavers to allow their captives from Africa to have some freedom and education. Up till then, it was just against the law to teach an enslaved person to read and write or write. You can see that. You can see why, right? Because as soon as enough of them had some book learning, they began to agitate, revolt, and demand freedom. And what was known then as human rights, we call it the rights of life now because not just humans deserve to be treated with respect. All living creatures do. Yeah. So anyway, I just just like like that section. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's what I feel too, and that's mm-hmm. what I've observed the last years. And my dad was a, a Garvey sympathizer, so oh, he was all Yeah. I was so lucky, right, to have those. Yeah. Thank you. 
I love your book. Love your book. Love it, love it. It's awesome. Maybe you'll be the first English teacher to use it in your curriculum somehow. <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, I've been thinking about it since I read it, um, I guess, last year. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I think I did share with my students, like, this is a good option. You want to, like, <laughs> choose this. So I let them choose a book of their own, you know, to um, yeah. to explore in, in an essay. So I, I do share it with them. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that means a lot to me. Please take care of yourself <laughs> and stay well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stay as- you too. Both of you stay well. And, again, thank you so much for this morning. And, uh, yeah, look forward to continuing our conversation at some other time. Right. And thank you for all the work that you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Peace and blessings. Oh, you're welcome, Sanana. (laughs) You take care. All right. Peace. Peace. So I am going to, um, uh, I want to announce something, uh, if I can find it fast enough. There is going to be an author talk today. Um, and I want to let you know sort of who is the author. Um, she wrote, um, uh, let's see, where is it? Um, it's today. She's going to be, uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. Uh, Julie Lithcock, um, I don't know if it's Hames or Himes. Um, she is uh, going to be giving um, a talk um, online today. Uh, it's a Zoom talk, and it's um, she's uh, she's the one that had, uh, wrote this really wonderful book, Real American. It's a, a memoir, and she, her latest book is called How to Raise an Adult, and she's going to be talking about uh, sort of some. Strategies and things you can do um, with uh, with your kids um, during this period when um, you know a um, lot of lot of opportunities for quality time, right? And uh, it's called Ten Tips for Parents on Sheltering on in Place Without Losing Your Mind. And I'm looking for the details. I know it's at 12 noon, and um, <clears throat> but I'm trying to find the link to it. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to um, put it in the description, and I'm also going to put it in my, um, I'm going to put it in, in my Wanda's Picks so that you can, you can link to it since I can't find it right now. Oh, here it is. Found it. There it is. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay, so anyway, yeah, I am going to uh, put the link for the Zoom registration in um, in the uh, pics, and then you can uh, sign up again. It's 12 noon Pacific time, so that's about an hour from now. And uh, as these things work, usually that means that later on it might be available. But anyway. 
And I want to end the show with um, uh, Marcus Garvey's um, We're a Winner from his CD, Soul of the Movement. So I want to end with that. We're a winner. So this can be your jam for today. We're a winner. It's a really wonderful piece. And it's uh, from that classic, We're a Winner. Um, trying to think, who was that? I'm trying to think, I want to say Sam Cooke, but I'm not sure exactly. We're a winner. Remember that song? We're a winner. And no matter what anybody says, um, uh, I mean, now I'm curious. We're a winner. Who wrote that? Uh, we're a winner. Oh, Curtis Mayfield. Duh. <laughs> uh, the Impressions. Um, uh, uh, who wrote it? Um, yeah, The Impressions. But, uh, yeah, Curtis Mayfield. That's right. So, anyway, this is... Um, this is uh, Marcus Shelby's. Uh, uh, this is Marcus, Marcus Shelby's uh, rendition of that particular classic. And thanks so much for tuning in for another edition of Wanda's Fix. This has been like a real free wielding last hour, but it's been fun with our our sisters, um, uh, Sanana and her mom, Stajabu, um, straight out scribes. And don't forget to visit them. StraightOutScribes.com That's what I'm talking about. Got to get your funk up in that mud. Never let anybody say, boy, you can't make it, cause a feeble mind is in your way. No more tears, we cry, and we found a dry eye, and we're moving on up. Moving on up. Loud hammers, and we're moving on up. Moving on up. We're living proof and all the love, and we're proof and the black and we're Everybody knows it too We just keep on pushing down oh, Like your leader tells you At last my blessed day has come Now I don't care where you come from We all moving on up Moving on up Lord how much do we moving on
that was uh, Miss Faye Carroll's voice that you heard there. Again, um, Marcus Shelby uh, Orchestra, We're a Winner from Soul of a Movement. Um, I think it's Soul of a Movement. Um, <laughs> I think that's the name of the uh, CD. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, great, great CD. Again, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Um, until Friday, same time, eight o'clock Pacific time. We have a. Uh, we're going to be talking to some poets from from West Africa. If everything works out well, Helakasa uh, meets the uh, uh, West Oakland of West Africa um, poets. Uh, in uh, in conversation, uh, we have a book together, and. Uh, yeah, and we're not going to be able to have our tour because of the COVID nineteen. But we can we can get together um, in other other ways. And so this is going to be an opportunity for us to talk about the uh, the visit to Ghana last year, as well as the new book and what people have been up to um, between then and now, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, so that's going to be Friday um, Friday morning from. 9 to 10 Pacific time, and then uh, we're going to have some other wonderful guests on.